Uh, so would you please turn with me to your study outlines. And as you turn, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends at First Baptist Church in Arco, Idaho, and also our friends at Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you are joining us uh, today for our study of God's Word. The title of the study is The Time is Right. Now, so much of the Christian life is about waiting for God's perfect timing, not getting ahead of God, not being behind God's timing. Uh, waiting for God's timing. So many times, you know, so many areas of life, we bring heartache on ourselves by running ahead of God. Maybe we want sex and we want to have it right now and we're not willing to wait until marriage. And so that invites all kinds of heartache into our lives. Or maybe we want more money or more material possessions than we currently have and we're not willing to wait. And so uh, instead of waiting for God's timing, we cut corners, we do something that's uh, on the borderline of ethical, or maybe we just neglect our family and our headlong pursuit to just achieve more and to earn more. And it ends up bringing heartbreak into our lives. And so we're running ahead of God. Or the opposite is true, that when we uh, don't move when God says move, God says go do that thing, and, and, and we hesitate, and we miss God's timing. For example, this week you're going to be in Target. And you're going to see that person with Lakers garb on. And God's going to say, go give this card to them. And you're going to hesitate and, and miss out on an adventure that God wants to take you on. Now, I love this quote by John Maxwell. This is just such a great quote in so many areas of life. The wrong decision at the wrong time equals disaster. The wrong decision at the right time equals a mistake. The right decision at the wrong time equals unacceptance. That is, the idea just doesn't fly because it was a good idea, it just wasn't the right timing. But the right decision at the right time equals success. That's when God blesses. That's when uh, God, uh, you really feel the, the wind at your back when you get that right decision at the right time. And you can probably identify with that. Any of you in, in school, in your school situation, or at work, or in your personal life, you look back over your life, and you'll see that timing was really uh, very, very important. Uh, I remember uh, when Kimberly and I were back in Homer, New York, and uh, just been in two churches, in Homer for 12 years, and here for 25, and so we were in a little country church, in a little a village called Homer, New York, and uh, I, I was in, in my 20s there. And the church had experienced some really wonderful growth. And uh, so I wanted us to go to multiple services. Now, that is no big deal to us to have more than one service. But I'm telling you, back in Homer, New York, that was crazy talk. I mean, the Catholics had multiple services, but the Protestants almost never did. And certainly in the 190-year history of that church, they had never had. I mean, if one service were good enough for Jesus and Paul and the apostles, then it was, uh, you know, good enough for them. And so, so, you know, that was just like crazy talk. And yet I knew to fuel our growth, we really needed to do that. And eventually we went to two and then three and four services. Eventually I had four services when I left there. And, um, but, uh, you know, I really was, as a young pastor in my 20s, just chomping at the bit to do this. And we got right up to it. And we just sensed it wasn't God's timing, wasn't the right timing. So sat back and waited an entire year. And a year later, finally went to two services, and then, like I said, to three and four. And that church just exploded in growth, just miraculously, uh, in that little town. Uh, same thing in our personal lives. After Kimberly and I, after we had our two little girls, uh, Abby and Leah, um, we, we wanted to adopt and we felt that we were called to adopt two boys from Guatemala. That's what we really felt God was saying to us. And, and, and it was the right idea. God says that's the right idea. It's just the wrong timing. The timing's just not right on it. 
So we, we waited on God, and one night we come back from playing. We played together on a church league softball team, and we come back, and there's a message waiting from us that we've got two boys in an orphanage in Colombia, in Cali, Colombia, South America. And that was God's timing. It was the right idea, just the wrong timing. And uh, God has certainly uh, blessed, and we've had such a, just a great blessing with our two boys, John and Andrew. All right, now if you turn to your study outline, this is what I want you to do. You see there it says, a decision where I need God's wisdom and timing is. I really want this message to be practical. I really want it to be concrete. I don't want it to be theoretical. I really want it to live in your life. And maybe you don't want to write it down because it's personal and there are people near you, or maybe just put it in your mind's eye or write it down. What's a decision in your life right now where you need God's wisdom and you need God's perfect timing uh, for that decision? And the Bible says, and I want you to think of the whole message as we go through the message. Keep coming back to that. And how does it apply? How does it apply? How does it apply? How does it apply? And, and the Bible says you can ask God for wisdom. You can say, Lord, I need wisdom on this decision, and I need wisdom as to the timing of this decision. James 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it'll be given to you. Now, we're going to see this in the Christmas story this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there... The time came for the baby to be born. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, in the old King James Version it says, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. And so Christmas is all about God's sovereign timing uh, in our lives. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. He says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And then he goes on to do that famous um, you know, passage there, poetic passage, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to plant, a time to uproot. And then he finishes up with this in verse 11. He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. In the original Hebrew, this means he's made it appropriate in its time. Now he has also set eternity in the human heart. Now this is where the confusion comes in. Because God makes everything beautiful in his time, but he's working on an eternal timetable. Our problem is we're working on a temporary timetable. We're working on a monthly, a yearly, a daily uh, kind of timetable. And he's put eternity in the human heart. And so let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been confused by God's timing in your life? How many of you have ever been frustrated by God's timing in your life? I, I know I have. And so he says, here's the reason. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Man, how many times you just can't fathom what is God up to? Well, here's the thing. He's set eternity in our human heart. And so he's working everything together beautifully and appropriately for eternal purposes, not necessarily for short-term uh, purposes. Uh, and that's why we have questions and why it's frustrating to us. because That's why we have to walk by faith. Uh, we can't walk by sight because our sight is on a temporary timetable. we got to walk by faith 
and God's eternal purposes behind what's going on in our life. Now let's see this back in the Christmas story. Mary might have felt the timing of Christ's birth was bad for several reasons. And the first and maybe the biggest one is her marriage was not yet consummated. This was terrible timing for her, particularly in that little village uh, back 2,000 years ago. Um, I love the movie The Nativity. And if you ever want to get in the Christmas spirit this next week, um, rent the movie The Nativity. It's just an awesome, awesome movie. Her marriage was not yet consummated. Mary is like, Lord, what are you up to in my life? Now, of course, he had revealed that to her. And the good news is he revealed it to Joseph shortly after this. Uh, the birth of her child would be an, un- and would be an occupied territory. Uh, have you ever heard people say this? Well, I don't want to know if I want to bring a baby into the world the way it is today. Well, as crazy as the world is today, multiply that by 100 in the little village of Nazareth. They were under the cruel occupation of Rome. And especially poverty-stricken people like Mary and Joseph who had nothing would have just felt so oppressed and crushed under the thumb and the heel of the Roman occupation. The census had totally disrupted their, their plans. So she'd have the baby away from home, away from home, away from security. Uh, there was no support system in Bethlehem, and so they wouldn't be surrounded by family and friends. The housing situation was inadequate. And of course, we talk about this a lot at the Christmas season, how Jesus had to be born in a manger with the animals because there was no guest room available for them. Now, can you identify with Mary in an area of your life right now? Is there some area of your life, maybe the one you wrote down at the first, or maybe there's one that's harder than that, and you're just like, what are you up to, God? You don't understand his timing. But see, he's looking at things eternally. And for Mary, he was not looking at the temporary. He was looking at the the eternal. He wasn't looking at the temporary reaction of those around Mary and Joseph in the village at Nazareth. He was looking to eternity. He was thinking about you. He had you in mind when Mary had to go through uh, this, this difficult time in her life. And so in the light of prophecy, however, the timing was perfect. Uh, From God's perspective, the timing was perfect. Uh, The Old Testament said that the Messiah, and I'm going to give you seven things that it said would be prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, but there are up to 400 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. Let me just give you seven of them. That he would emerge victorious. Genesis 3, uh, verse 15. And I will put, this is right after Adam and Eve are in despair because this is right after they failed in the Garden of Eden and they sinned. And there was a separation between God and them. But God immediately, after that gap is put between a holy God and an unholy Adam and Eve, he immediately puts a plan into place to bridge that gap. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to Satan now. And between your offspring and hers, he, the Messiah, Jesus, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So you will strike his heel. He will feel the pain of the crucifixion, but in the process will have his head crushed because the crucifixion will be followed by the resurrection. Anybody want to say amen to that? Now this is given thousands of years before Christ. Thousands of years. Now this is one given 2,000 years before Jesus. He would come from the nation of Israel. Uh, Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. 
I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Did you know you're mentioned in the Bible? All peoples. That's us. People sitting in church in Pomona, California, 2,000 years later, and all peoples, us on earth, will be blessed through you. Uh, it was also prophesied he would come from the tribe of Judah. Jacob gathers his sons together before his death, and he does a prophecy over each of his sons that will become tribes in Israel. And he talks about the fourth one, Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. Uh, this was given 1,800 years, 1,800 B.C., 1,800 years before Jesus. It was prophesied he would come from the house of David in 1,000 B.C. Uh, David is disappointed in this passage because he wanted to build the temple for God. He just, he just wanted it. Uh, just like as a young pastor, I wanted you know, a couple of services. I want multiple services to fuel the growth of that church. Well, well David, he, he wanted to build the temple. And God said, good idea, just the wrong timing of it. And so he says this to him in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, verses 12 and 13. When your days are over, that is, David, when you're dead, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring, that's Solomon, to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. But then he looks beyond Solomon. He is the one who will build a house for my name. So Solomon's the one that's going to do that. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom through his line from the house of David forever. Did Solomon's kingdom last forever? No. But through him came Jesus, and his kingdom uh, will last forever. He'd be born of a virgin. This is now 700 B.C., 700 years before Jesus. Uh, I, God says, therefore, the Lord himself, Isaiah says, will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which in the Hebrew means God with us. He'd be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, uh, verse 2, again about 700 years before Jesus. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times." Uh, it's prophesied he would be visited and honored by wise men. Now, this is really a couple of interesting verses. Isaiah 60, again, about 700 B.C. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Skipping to verse 6. Herds of camel will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephah and all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense, or frankincense, gold and incense, and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Now, the wise men of the Christmas story are actually going to foreshadow the future reign of Christ, his millennial thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, and it's going to foreshadow it. But notice an interesting difference here. It says, because this prophecy is about that second coming of Jesus, about his future reign, and it says there's going to be gold, there's going to be incense, but what is missing from the Christmas story? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay, that's interesting. See, gold represents the king's birth. And incense, or frankincense, is the king's life. Jesus would spread the fragrance of, of his life. 
So what's missing? Myrrh has to do with the king's death. Gold with his birth, incense with his life, um, uh, myrrh with his death. It was an embalming uh, item that would be used for the burial of Jesus. So what this is saying, because it leaves out myrrh, is that the first time Jesus comes, there will be a death. It'll be followed by a resurrection, but there'll be a death. There'll be a burial. They'll be wrapping in funeral clothes, which need the myrrh. The first time he comes, there will be a need for myrrh. But the second time he comes back, the king will not die. He will rule. And all God's family said, amen. First time, gold, frankincense, myrrh. Second time, simply gold and incense because he will rule. Psalm 72, verse 10 May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him with gifts. So in the light of prophecy, from God's eternal perspective, it was the perfect time. And then in the light of history at that time, the timing was perfect. And so there are certain historical conditions that God orchestrated supernatural in their timing to prepare for the birth of Christ. Now, I don't want to minimize the supernatural. Because when historians look at the explosion of Christ's followers, and it's the greatest movement in world history, largest, most pervasive, every nook and cranny of the world, fastest growing then and now, it's the most explosive movement in all of world history. And we get to, we get to have a plan, part of that. Just think about that. When you come to follow Christ, you immediately become part of the biggest thing that's ever happened in human history. Even if you, you separate out the spiritual aspects of it. It's the biggest thing that's ever happened in world history. The biggest, fastest-growing movement ever in, in world history. And there are supernatural things that launched it. The greatest miracle in all the Bible, the greatest miracle in all of history, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what launched this explosion of Christ's followers. And then the thing that fueled it is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And so the resurrection miracle, supernatural miracle, launched it. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit miracle fueled it, uh, fired it up, caused it to spread, but God used natural things that were timed supernaturally, and he'll do the same in your life. He will do certain supernatural things in your life, but he will also do certain natural things that are not considered supernatural, but their timing is supernatural. Does that make sense? How many of you ever had just an a supernatural timing of a natural event. Just something that is not considered supernatural, but the timing of it is. And so the supernatural plus the natural equaled this explosive growth of Christ's followers. Now here are some of the, the natural things that happened in supernatural timing. The spreading of the Jewish people. Uh, it's what's called the diaspora, which means the dispersion of the Jewish people right before the birth of Jesus. And you see in this outline all through the Mediterranean area how the Jews were dispersed throughout this area before Jesus was born. And in each of these areas, you would have communities of God-fearing Jews that would become hotbeds of evangelism. Um, they would be called, um, some historians call them launching pads for the gospel. So you'd have these God-fearing Jews, and so the gospel would come there. Now, not all of them would, would follow Christ, but enough of them did that it started pockets of Christians all through this area because of the spreading of the Jewish people that preceded it. Uh, the second was a favorable uh, legal environment. Here's the Roman Empire at its peak, 
And it was a massive empire with all kinds of different people that they had conquered, different nationalities, people groups, and religions. And, they, and the Romans were very tolerant of other religions with one exception, okay? One exception. Everybody had to proclaim Caesar is Lord or Caesar is God. And if you proclaim Caesar is Lord or Caesar is God, you could believe in all the other gods. You could believe in a thousand gods, Apollos and Zeus and all, a bunch of different gods, as long as you included one of them, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is God. That was the one area where they were intolerant. Now that worked for everybody in the Roman Empire except for the Jewish people. Didn't work for them. They said, this doesn't work for me. And so there were decades of killing and intimidation of the Roman Empire, of the Jewish people. And finally, uh, through their strength and through their stubbornness, the Jewish people just outlasted the Roman Empire. And finally they got tired of it and they said, okay, 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 everybody's got to say Caesar is Lord, with one exception, the Jewish people. And so there's a little clause, you know, you must say Caesar is Lord, a little asterisk at the end of it, except for the Jewish people down here. Now you say, now why, why is that important? Okay, well because the first 40 years of Christianity, from about 30 A.D. to 70 A.D., the first 40 years, the Roman Empire did not distinguish between Christians and Jews. They thought they were all the same. I mean, we do the same thing, don't we? I mean, until 9-11, did anybody know the difference between a Sunni Muslim and a Shiite Muslim? You know, didn't know the difference. You know, just kind of, they, they all kind of lumped together. People do that with Christians. You know, Catholics, Protestants kind of all lumped together. We do it with Hindus and, and, and other groups. And so the Roman Empire did exactly the same thing. They just said, okay, Christians, Jews, they're all just kind of the same thing. And so what happened is, because the Jewish faith was under the protection of the Roman Empire, in that one exception, Christians were able to take root wherever the Jewish people were. Now, finally, in 70 A.D., when Rome conquered Jerusalem, crushed Jerusalem, destroyed it, and destroyed the temple, finally, after 70 A.D., they began to realize that Christians and Jews were not the same. But by this time, the toothpaste was out of the, tooth, out of the tube. It was out. And by this time, the genie was out of the bottle. And by this time, Christianity had taken root and you just couldn't reverse what had already been done. Uh, number three was a favorable political climate. Julius Caesar is the best known of the Roman emperors, and there was more civil war during his time than any other emperor. But after he was assassinated, as Caesar Augustus, Augustus Caesar came to the throne, uh, 25 years before Jesus was born, peace broke out in the Roman Empire. It was called Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. And for the next 200 years, there were very few uh, battles, very few, except for the one that opens the movie Gladiator. But other than that battle, you know, but there are very few battles. And so they, they took all that massive military expenditures in their budget, and they put it into infrastructure. And so they built this vast network of roads all over the Roman Empire, and travel was safe. They built this wonderful infrastructure, and they took care of the safety, the protection of the people who traveled. If any of you work for CHP, California Highway Patrol, the origins of CHP were right here in Rome where they would have highway patrol, patrols. So now it became easy to travel and it became safe to travel. And then number four, a favorable cultural climate. Uh, first time since the Tower of Babel that most people spoke could speak the same language, which was, which was Greek. And the reason why they could speak the same language, koinonia, which means common Greek, it's what the New Testament was written in, is because of Alexander the Great. 
he conquered the world, and everybody had this common Greek language and this common Greek culture. And so the New Testament that we have was written in Koinonia, or common Greek, that almost everybody could understand. Now, that couldn't happen if the Bible were written today. If the Bible was written today, the books of Galatians and Ephesians would be written in Turkish. The books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians would be written in Greek. The book of Romans would be written in Italian. The book of Hebrews would be written in Hebrew. And by the way, just a little bit of a side note, I see God doing the same thing today. Uh, right, I, and I think it's one of the signs that Jesus is going to come back soon. Is we have this unprecedented opportunity uh, through the internet. All of a sudden the gospel can go around the world. I mean, it's just crazy that right now this sermon, somebody can be watching that in China. Or somebody can download it later on in India and be watching it. Or Australia. And right now through the internet, God has given us kind of the same circumstances that happened right at the birth of, of the Christian faith. I mean, English has become, become the business language of the world. And so there are all kinds of people, including people from our church, that are using English as a, as a tool to share Christ with people around the world. And we see some of the same situation today that you saw right before Jesus was born. And then number five, a favorable philosophical climate. Plato and Aristotle and all the Greek philosophers, they had done a much better job of raising questions than answering questions, okay? They were really good at raising questions. Didn't have answers to their questions, didn't have the truth, and so they raised all these questions. So when the Christian faith was being proclaimed around the world, where uh, Greek philosophers had been, uh, one historian said it came through like a cleansing breeze. All of a sudden, there were answers to the questions that the Greek philosophers had raised. Uh, one historian said the Greek philosophers were like plows in the field. They didn't have seed to plant in the field, but they were like plows that plowed up the ground. Now the Christian faith comes along, the truth comes along, into those cultivated, plowed, fertile minds that were hungering for truth. They were hungering uh, for morality. Remember Pilate at the trial of Jesus said, what is truth? They're hungering for truth. They're hungering for morality. And they came and sowed the seeds of the gospel, and the thing just exploded. Now Christmas is about God's timing in our lives. Uh, the Roman Empire, the census, going to Bethlehem, all these were like little coincidences and circumstances. But behind the scenes, with eternity in mind, God is orchestrating all of them to make things beautiful in his time. And here's the good news. He's doing the same thing in your life. He's doing the same thing in my life. Those things you just can't understand, like Mary, you just can't figure out what God's up to. He's working all those things together uh, to be appropriate, to beautiful in its time. We can trust him that whatever's most frustrating or uh, questionable or, or, or just the kind of thing in our life right now we just can't figure out, he's beside, behind the scenes making that thing into something good if we just trust him by faith. Uh, you can see this in other examples in history. Um, there are a bunch of them, but let me just give you a few that I enjoy. Uh, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, when he was a young guy, he owned a, a store, and he was in the back of his store one day, and he was rummaging through a barrel, and he, got, he actually finished rummaging through a barrel, but then he went down one more time, and he felt a couple of books on the bottom of the barrel, pulled them out, 
and it was Blackstone's Law Commentaries. He read them, and just something stirred within him, and he became a lawyer. And, and the rest is history. Basically, America was saved in the mid-1800s because of this guy rummaging through a barrel in the back of his star. Uh, in Christian Christianity, history of Christianity, you can see this. John Calvin. Martin Luther is kind of the famous guy of the Protestant Reformation, but his number two guy, or second most influential, I think, was John Calvin. And he was on his way to Italy one day, and, and war had broken out, and so the road to Italy was blockaded, so instead he went and made his headquarters in Geneva, Switzerland, instead of in Italy. And if you study Christian history, it literally changed the course of Christian history, all because there was a SIG alert on the 10 freeway on the way to Italy, and he had to go to Geneva, Switzerland instead. Here's my favorite one. George Whitfield was a bartender in England, uh, but he couldn't get along with his sister-in-law, and his brother owned the bar. So he's a bartender, couldn't get along with his sister-in-law, his brother owns the bar, so he leaves the bar. Now, uh, this was out of this experience that he eventually turned to God. He opened up his heart, became a follower of Christ. He goes to Oxford. He became a preacher, and he led one of the greatest revivals in, in all of world history. And many historians believe that the American Revolution in America happened because of the preaching of George Whitfield. So America is here as a country today, all because this guy couldn't get along with his sister-in-law. Okay. Let's bring the praise band up at this time. And I want to give one last example. One last example of some people who changed history. Here's Pastor Tomiko, Pastor Lisa, and uh, Tom Shea. Now, we know Pastor Lisa and Pastor Tomiko, but Tom Shea, you don't know. And he's this on-fire Christ follower here in Pomona, on fire for Jesus. And he's a real mover and shaker um, he was the campaign manager uh, for the mayor, and he's just a real mover and shaker in Pomona. So, so one day, about a year and a half ago or so, uh, Lisa and, and Tomiko take Tom Shea out to lunch. And they said, look, we've got this rundown restaurant building on our property. We want to renovate it, make it into a justice center. And uh, do, you, do you have any ideas for funding that or how we could make that happen? He says, no, I don't, okay? Silver and gold, have I none? But such as I have, I give to you, okay? He said, no, no, don't, don't, don't have any idea on that. Uh, he says, but have you ever considered selling that property? And they said, what are you talking about? Well, through that lunch conversation, God began to orchestrate things to have the largest non-denominational evangelical seminary in world history is going to be planted right across the street from our church. And we're going to get to have a part in that. And it all happened from a lunch about a different subject. Now, I want to encourage you because we think the Justice Center, God, that wasn't, it was the right idea, it just wasn't the right timing. And now we think we've got the right timing and the right idea is coming out on that. But in the meantime, this lunch about a different subject, God orchestrated that and our church, I believe, is going to be a strategic player in the future of worldwide Christianity and worldwide leadership of the Christian faith um, until Jesus comes back. Now let's go to the thing in your life that you wrote down at the beginning. Remember the thing you wrote down in your study outline at the beginning? Same thing is true for us. Same thing that was true for Mary. Same thing that was true for... These people in history, same thing was true for us as a church, is true for you. And so before we close in some worship, let's just take a moment to pray 
about that thing. Lord, right now, I know what I wrote down or what I would have written down there in my fill-in-the-blank, and, and you know what it is for each of the people here. And so right now, Lord, we present these things to you. We don't know what you're up to. We, we don't know wisdom. We don't know what we're supposed to decide or when we're supposed to decide on it and how that decision and the timing of it, Lord, we're not. And so you've said that we can ask you for wisdom. So right now, whatever it is in each one of our lives individually, we're presenting to you and pray that you'll give us the wisdom as to the right thing to do and when to do it. Help us, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Hey, let's stand up. Let's worship a little bit longer.